Nightmare. Nothing personal. Word of the day for April 8th, 2021 is nightmare. I think we've all had nightmares. I try to think of only positive things before I fall asleep. I usually don't have time to dream. I barely remember any dreams that I have. But nightmares for me, I was, I'm never a superhero when I sleep. I'm, I'm always me in my dreams. And nightmares for me, being trapped, not passing an exam, not being able to go to graduation. I still have those nightmares. And I also had nightmares being in baseball. A nightmare in baseball is when the season starts and everyone's all excited. You feel so good about opening day. Your team's going to be good. You won the Grapefruit League or you won the Cactus League or you're ready. No injuries. Everything's looking up. And then all of a sudden they drop the puck. Opening day happens. You lose. You say it's only one game. No big deal. And then you lose again. No big deal. We'll get a game. You win a game, you lose, you win, you lose. And before you know it, you're already 5% into the season. Remember that math, eight games in, you're 5% into your season already. And it just started. Most teams are only six games in. Some teams have played seven games. But you're about to be 5% done with the season. And I used to keep track. I had a big board in my office. And it's a board that I had in Montreal. So the months are labeled in French, actually. So it's Avril, May, Juin, Juillet, Août, and September. And then October, which only got to use once. Sometimes there's the regular season ends October 1st. So I got to pretend, yeah, of course we play in October. And then you had the days of the week, lundi, mardi, mercredi, jeudi, vendredi, samedi, and dimanche. And so I would put on the board every game what the result was and what the attendance was. Of course, the attendance that I made up, of course, but that's what I put up. And so I would keep track and I would watch where I started the season, which is I had to stand on a chair because I'm small and April is on the top of this big bulletin board. So I had to step on a chair in order to write down the score of the game after every game in the attendance. And by the time September comes, because the board is so big, I would actually have to be on my knees to write it. And I would think about every season, how quickly it goes from chair to knees. And that would always inform my decision about when to panic, when it's okay to say it's early, when it's okay to say it's not early. And my view is when you're on the chair, it's early. When you're standing, you are in the meat of the season. And when you're on your knees, it's late. So that was my theory. Right now I'm on my chair. It's early in the season, but there have been some nightmares for some teams. Every year, we would get lectured by the commissioner about injuries and about how bad it is to pay players who are hurt, how bad it is to have money going to players on the disabled list and then having to replace those players on your active roster so you're paying twice. We would always replace expensive players with cheap players. Some teams would replace expensive players with expensive players. Either way, you are spending an amount of money that going into the season you would choose to spend as little as possible. And at the end of the season, you look back and say, oh my God, we spent $10 million on replacement players. And so every year, baseball would help us try to figure out how to keep players from getting injured. We're making better, we're making moves in the weight room. We're making moves with training and with pregame routines and postgame routines. We're using Fitbit so we can monitor players' sleep. We're monitoring when we should sit players, when we should play players. We're doing state-of-the-art 
what what's that thing, Coco, when you go in and freeze your kishkas off for 10 seconds? It's like chirogenics, but I don't think that's what it's called. But something where you go in, it, it's cryo, cryotherapy or something. So we bought one of those for 20 grand, go in there for five seconds, freeze yourself, and all of a sudden you can recover better. It's tough when you can't use the greenies to recover, which the players can't use anymore. So injuries become the story of every season. You meet the team during spring training. You talk about what it is to stay in shape, what it is to understand that you are going to be more sore than you've been because you're doing spring training. And then toward the end of spring training, you talk about the routine of the season and taking care of your body. And every year, I would say to myself, I'm good. We're good. No one's going to get hurt. We're going to be that team. We're only going to need seven starting pitchers, not 13. We're not going to have to go to our fifth outfielder to start every day. We're not going to have to call up our young player prematurely. So what happens in the first week of the season? We talked about Fernando Tatis Jr. Hurt, out for 10 days minimum. And then we hear that Aaron Judge, worst nightmare for the Yankees. Aaron Boone comes out and says, we're not going to play Aaron Judge last night because he's got quote unquote general soreness. Now maybe he's got soreness from getting the vaccine. That's a possibility here, Coca. He's tired, needed the day. Maybe he's actually sore, maybe he's actually hurt. What we would say always to the public is that when a player is sore, even if he's not sore, we'd say the player's sore. And we would say to ourselves, we're not gonna play you today because we have an off day, so we're gonna give you two whole days off. And in the baseball world, that seems like a lot. You get two full days, except then the player comes in on the third day, which is when he's supposed to be back in the lineup and says, Ooh, I'm not quite ready yet. Ooh, I still feel a little bit of something somewhere. Aaron judge, unfortunately is the type of player who has not been able to stay on the field. And if you're the Yankees, you have a great concern about Aaron Judge and whether or not you sign him to a long-term deal or do you let him go when he becomes a free agent or do you trade him before he even gets to free agency, which is something the Yankees don't do because they're in a win right now and they have that sort of modus operandi every single year. Wouldn't that be amazing if you were a fan of a team who was a win-now team every year? There aren't many teams like it, folks. Dodgers, maybe Yankees. Aaron Judge has one more year of arbitration, just so you're aware, Yankees fans. His free agency comes in 2023, which in the baseball world is tomorrow. The Yankees will have a big decision because they can say all they want to you and to me that he's got general soreness. We're going to hold him out. The proof will be in the pudding. Is he going to play 150 games? That's the question. Aaron Judge is out. The Dodgers have injuries. Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger aren't playing. General problems. Trevor Rosenthal, the A's closer. What about him? Thoracic outlet syndrome. All I know is that means you missed three months. I never understood what it was when our team doctor would call and say, hey, we got a guy. We're going to have to do thoracic surgery or thoracic outlet syndrome surgery. I wouldn't go on Wikipedia. My question, I was very much a consequentialist running the team, actually. How long is he going to be out? Just tell me that. And what are the chances you're wrong? That's all I want to know, because then I can plan. I don't really care what's wrong, just how long will it be? What about Springer? 
George Springer with the Blue Jays. Blue Jays are having a decent start, but Springer, remember he had the oblique injury, and I've told you that obliques are a major problem. Obliques and hamstrings are big problems in baseball. They're soft tissue injuries. It's not like a, a Tommy John or a labrum tear or a slight labrum tear. Soft tissue injuries are tricky because you try to come back too soon. You can aggravate it and have a complete setback. If you're swinging the bat too hard with an oblique injury and you didn't let it fully recover, it's going to rip again and you can end up tearing your oblique. Or if you have a hamstring problem and you feel a little pull like Marte did with the Diamondbacks last night, he's out. I hated seeing players pull up. When Stan hurt his hamstring, you just know when players hurt their hamstrings because they're running up to first base or they're running around the bases. They do quick acceleration, and all of a sudden, it looks like they just got shot. They just stop. And the first thing we would say to the player, and this is the only question you have when you see a player do that, did you hear anything? Did you hear anything? Don't tell me what it felt like. Did you hear the pop? Because if you heard the weasel pop, then you know that you've got a long-term hamstring issue or an elbow issue or an arm issue, whatever. Pop's bad. Pop is bad in baseball. So George Springer is recovering from his oblique and all of a sudden he hurts his quad. Players are famous for that, right? Some players, when they're recovering from one injury, that's a call I hated to get especially early in the season. When you have an expectation that you put a player on the injured list and they're only going to miss the first five games because we were able to retroactively put them on the IL during spring training. And so you figure you can get through five days without your star, but you really need him back to start the season. And then you get the call saying, hold on one second. We have a small issue here. The oblique's getting better, but now the quad has a problem. I remember those calls. God, do they suck, Coca. So injuries are happening exactly as we told you they would, not because 2020 was a shortened season, not because 2019 was the last time these guys played 162, not because these guys don't train hard enough or there was collective bargaining issues and they felt as though they didn't know whether or not games were going to be played. None of those reasons are the reasons why injuries are so prolific in Major League Baseball. The reason is the same as why injuries are happening in all professional sports at a rate that continues to increase that causes the greatest concern to the viability of the product. Injuries, the greatest concern. Why are all these players getting injured? Because they are in shape in a way that they never used to be. We used to call it two things. Are you in baseball shape or are you in magazine shape? Magazine shape is what players like to be in. Baseball shape is what we want players to be in. Magazine shape is when you take your shirt off at the beach and they say, wow, are you in a magazine? Baseball shape is when you take your shirt off and people say, are you a professional athlete? We had a bunch of players, some of the best players we ever had. Josh Beckett was never going to be in a magazine. You wouldn't want to face him in the batter's box. Mike Lowell was never going to be in a magazine, except if you wanted a clutch hit, you were going to get it from Mike Lowell. Magazine shape doesn't matter but these guys like it. The internet likes it. Social media likes it. Instagram loves magazine shape. I want a player in baseball shape. That's why we don't say when we sign a player, take off your shirt. I don't care. What about performance? Performance nightmares. Anyone out there have performance anxiety? Well, there's some teams that do. The Marlins won the Grapefruit League. They're one in five. The Mets are starting off one and two. Their bullpen sucks. They've got sub eight ERA. 
their worst nightmares come true. Their bullpen is blowing games. The Oakland A's are one and six. They finally got their first win. Terrible. Playing terribly. They're not pitching. They're not hitting. What about the anti-nightmare? When you start off so hot and you think that that's it, we're going to win 90 games now. The Cincinnati Reds are five and one. And their mentality is we weren't chosen to be even a part of the NL Central of the NL Central conversation. It's all cards. It's all brewers. It's all Cubs, even though the Cubs aren't going to be in the conversation either. But all of a sudden, the Reds start five and one. Well, if you look beyond the numbers there, uh, they are hitting the ball in a way that is not sustainable, which is why I tell you when your team is one and five or your team is five and one, ignore it. It's not a nightmare. Injuries are the nightmare. Performance is not the nightmare. And the reason why performance is not the nightmare is that every team who makes the playoffs this year, every one of them, and there's going to be 10 teams, right, Coca? They didn't expand the playoffs. Three division winners and two wild cards. Is that right? Or is it three division winners and three wild cards? I think two wild cards play each other. And then the worst division winner plays the best, the worst wild card in a two winner take all games. Am I right? I may be totally wrong. I'm totally blanking Coke on the number of playoff teams in baseball in 2019, but I think it's 10. In any case, I don't even know what my point was. Oh yes. Ready? Every single playoff team in 2021 will have a stretch of games where they're one in five. Every one of them. I don't care if you win a hundred games, you're going to lose five out of six at one point during the season. So don't worry in terms of players and injury and performance, maybe, maybe I'd worry about that after six games. A couple of other issues that are happening in baseball that I want to talk to. I want to talk to all Yankee fans out there. And I know there are a lot of you and I know a lot of you listen to nothing personal. And I'm just curious, why are you on Glaber Torres so much? The error that he committed last night, check out the video of it, Coca. He threw a ball in the dirt. Who was playing first base last night for the Yankees, Coca? I'll bet you a dollar was Jay Bruce. Am I close? The Yankees lost four to three in 11 innings on a great play at the plate. Santander threw out Gio or Gia to end that game in the 11th inning. Jay Bruce was playing first base last night. Glaber Torres gets a ball, throws it in the dirt. And Bruce tries to backhand it. Here's what you do and what we teach. Shortstops get the errors, but first basemen deserve the blame. And I'm not going to get a lot of love here from the first baseman out there. But your job at first base, even if it's a plenty of time play, where the shortstop should get the ball, take two steps and throw a dart right to your chest. When you're a first baseman, you have to be a vacuum cleaner. You have to put your glove facing out, not in. I wish that I could show you what I'm doing here, but if you're listening to the show, putting your glove out is like when you extend your hand, your palm out, as though someone's going to put something in your hand. That's what you do with your glove to vacuum in the ball and the bounce, to smother the ball that's bounced to you on a throw. You get your body in front of it, and you sweep the ball up into you. You don't stab it. I'm, I'm rotating my wrist a little bit right now. You don't stab it on the backhand and try to get it on the hop when you're the first baseman. And when you miss it as a first baseman, the shortstop gets the error. So the Yankee fans are up in arms that Glaber Torres is having errors. By the way, Tatis already has five errors. The Padres aren't up in arms about that. 
You're worried. Go get a shortstop. Stop playing Glaber. No. It's going to happen. Take a look at your guy, Derek Jeter, the number of errors he had as a young player at shortstop. I'm just curious. Take a look at that. I don't mean you, Coca. I mean you out there. How are the balls doing? I got someone uh, someone on Twitter tweeted at me or DM'd me saying, look, Brian Anderson, because they think I'm watching the Marlins games, and maybe they're right. Maybe they're wrong. Brian Anderson hit a rocket to center field. The ball died out there. Not a home run. They blamed the dimensions of Marlins Park, which they shouldn't have. Now they're saying the ball's dead. Remember when the MLB, the, not the MLB, remember when MLB said they were going to change the balls? And they said, don't worry, it's not going to have any impact. And I said to you, don't worry, it's going to have a great impact. In order for a change of ball to have an impact, you can't take six games. You have to take 160 games times 30 teams at a minimum. You don't take 180 games or 30 teams playing six games each. Is it possible the ball's dead and it's going to impact offense? You're damn right. It's not just possible. It's probable. Are players going to learn to change their swing to adjust their play to the new ball? Not a chance. Players will not adjust the way they play until their pocketbook gets adjusted by the way that they play. As long as we continue to pay for home runs, they're going to keep going launch angle and going for home runs. Because if you have seven balls die in the warning track, but three of them go over the fence because you got a little more of it, but in the past it would have been six balls that would have gone over, are you going to change the way you play that brings you from six to two? No you're going to make sure you at least stay at three. And in order to stay at three home runs instead of six, you've got to get down on the knob and wail on the ball. So if baseball is trying to get a change in the game, if Theo Epstein is working day and night before he joins the Mets, if he's working day and night trying to figure out how to solve all the problems that L baseball, deadening the ball and looking at six games with limited data points, it's not going to do the trick. Baseball started, that means the nightmares have begun. I'll tell you what's not a nightmare, Coca. We are doing some serious kicking of ass in the nothing personal pick of the day. We are 45 and 28. We gave you two picks yesterday. We told you to take the Suns plus two at home against the Jazz. Home dog, if the Suns won the game, that's a winner. We told you that Nola over Peterson, Phillies over the Mets was a guarantee, and we went 2-0. and 45 and 28. We're going to take the Cardinals tonight. Wainwright, I just watched the Cardinals play the Marlins. Yeah, you got me. Yeah, I watched the game. They got Wainwright going. Wainwright is much more of a force off the field than he is on the field. He is a much better person than he is pitcher at this point. But there's something about the performance of Wainwright that I'm going to ignore from opening day when he got rocked. I've got the cards over the Brewers tonight. It's going to be there. Wait to see is when, he tell you, when we tell you something's going to happen. I'm going to do an early wait to see on baseball. We'll revisit it, I promise. We'll revisit this at the end of the year. So all these teams with these good starts, the Reds are 5-1, and one, the Phillies are 5-1, and one, the Astros are 5-1. and one. I'm going to talk about the Reds and the Phillies. And my way to say is that both the Reds and the Phillies will finish below 500. 
Can you imagine I'm saying that? No way. They're five and one. They're going to win 81 games. All right. We'll wait to see. It'll depend injuries. It'll depend performance. It will depend on luck. Luck is something that I think about every day, how lucky I am. Everything, I, I worked my absolute ass off always, but I was just lucky by giving so many, being given so many opportunities. Some people are given opportunities and flush them down the toilet. Some people are never given opportunities and are never given an opportunity to feel lucky. And some people get the opportunities and then make the most of them. Luck is something that I try to believe doesn't exist on the field, even though intuitively I know it does. To win a World Series, you need luck. To get to the playoffs, you need skill. To survive, you need luck. How many of you look back at your childhood and say, oh my God, I could have died 20 different times. How lucky am I? Or you read about all the bad luck that some people have and you just say, phew, I'm lucky. Tiger Woods is lucky. Word came out yesterday that his crash in California when he crashed his car and broke his leg in all those places. Words come out that he was speeding 40 miles an hour over the speed limit, going 87 or 86 in a 45 zone. Of course, when the crash happened, do you remember we were doing a show, Coca? I think we were doing a show the day it happened. And everyone wanted us to talk about the fact that, oh, he must have been on drugs. He must have been drunk, even though it was early in the morning. Maybe he was coming back from a bar. Maybe he was on Ambien. Maybe he was on prescription drugs. Everyone assumed the worst. And we were supposed to go on HQ and talk about it. And we said, maybe it's just bad luck. Maybe he just had a car accident. Well, word came out. It was a car accident that was caused by excessive speed. I wonder if Tiger's ever going to speed again. I had a car accident when I was in Florida and I wasn't speeding actually. And I am, I have a heavy foot. There's no doubt about that. I was in a car that started hydroplaning and I couldn't control it. And it hydroplaned right into the median and the airbags came out. My only injury, if you actually go back Coca and look at the team photo from 2003, you'll notice a bandage on my arm. And that was from this car accident where the airbag actually burned me. That was the biggest result of the accident I had, which means the airbags worked. It's like feeling sick from the COVID vaccine and being upset that you're feeling sick. No, no, you should be happy you're feeling sick. It means it worked. You should be happy that you burn your arm on an airbag because it means that you didn't bash your head in and die. So Tiger Woods has this accident, and all I keep thinking about is, does that inform his future behavior um, behind the wheel? It's the same thing that we all feel when we're sick and we say we're never going to take our health for granted. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to sleep more. I'm going to party less. Because when you feel like crap, you'll say anything. It's like swearing to God. When you're in trouble, I swear to God, if you get me out of this, I will never do something bad again. Everybody swears to God when they're in trouble. Everybody when they're sick says they're gonna be different. Everybody when they're caught speeding says they're not gonna speed. Everybody when they have an accident says whatever caused that accident is something I'm never gonna do again. And then of course, 
time as the ultimate healer changes that entire thought process. Because eventually you feel better and you go back to doing the exact things that you did to get you sick in the first place. Eventually, you forget about the fact that the police pulled you over and you start speeding again because you say enough times passed. I'm okay. Two tickets in two months is fine. Two tickets in a week, not so fine. I wonder whether Tiger Woods is going to go back to speeding. I'm going to say that he knows how lucky he got. And for the next few months after he's able to drive again, he's going to go five to seven miles over the speed limit. And then a year after he's recovered, he'll be right back to speeding. And that makes him normal. Sometimes normal people have their luck run out. And that's when you die in a crash. Some people, their luck never runs out. And those are people where you say that they've been angel pixie dusted. Is that the expression, Coca? Is it angel dust? Or is that the drug? Maybe it's pixie dust. I can't remember, so I combined them. So I said angel pixie dust. I don't know what it is, Coca, do you? Hi, Coca. He's whispering in my ear, angel dust. Don't talk about angel dust. Angel dust is a drug. Angel dust is a bad drug. What's the thing when you're blessed? Like on Disney, they sprinkle you with stuff. Pixie dust. Some people live a life full of pixie dust. I look up in the sky and I see nothing but pixie. Players and athletes and all those of us with egos think that we're invincible. You're removed of that notion when you have an accident or when someone close to you has an accident or when you witness an accident. But for whatever reason, our brains are wired and my brain is wired this way, my aura of invincibility, that it's not going to happen to me theory. I'm not going to be unlucky. I'm going to push it to the limit because I know the difference. I'm always in control when I'm 40 miles an hour over the speed limit. Although I never go more than 30 over the speed limit because there's a rule when you are, and this is a rule I was taught, and I wonder whether it's true, Coca. If you are caught going more than 30 miles an hour over the speed limit, they can take your license away right on the spot. And I've gotten pulled over plenty of times for speeding, but I've never had my license taken away because I'd never been caught going over 30 miles an hour over the speed limit. One of the times I got caught, the policeman, police officer said to me, you know how close you were to 30 over? That's one of those questions that you don't answer. Uh, no, I wasn't, officer. <laughs> We're back to that, Coca. How do you answer a police officer when they pull you over for speeding if you're lucky enough to be able to answer at all? Invincibility. I could have made that the word of the day. I like nightmare. Who's watching the Masters now while listening to this podcast? I think they're teen off already, for sure. It started with Gary Player and Jack Nicholas and Lee Elder the first black player to play the Masters in 1975 got to be the official, or is it the unofficial starter? It's either the official starter or the unofficial official starter. You know, in racing, people have the flags and you get to ride in the front car or throw the checker flag down or whatever. Anyway, the Masters started today without Tiger Woods. Everyone's writing articles saying, this is what baseball is like without Tiger. Not baseball. Edit that out, Coca. Ready? We're going to do that again. 10, 69. This is what golf is like post-Tiger. Well, Tiger hasn't really been playing a lot recently, has he? 
I think golf is pretty aware of what it's like post Tiger, and it's not that great. People want to see Tiger still, especially now that he's injured. They're going to want to see him come back, forgetting the fact that he's 45. But the Masters goes on. The Masters in Augusta, Georgia. The Masters led by the chairman. You know what his name is, right? Can't remember what his name is right now. Where are we, Coca? Fred Ridley. Thank you. So I just have to say that I have a document in front of me that is just an outline. And Coke and I discuss the show. We argue about the show. He tells me what I should be talking about and what I shouldn't be talking about. I tell him what I want to talk about, what I don't want to talk about. He tells me that I don't know shit about shit. I tell him that he's the best. So whatever you want. And then, of course, I get the microphone and get to do what I want. But he doesn't know what I'm going to say, except he really does know me so well by now. He knows exactly what I'm going to say. And then he knows where I'm going to get lost. And I can't find my place. Fred Ridley is the Augusta National and Masters chairman. Fred Ridley meets the media. Remember when Fred Ridley during the Tiger documentary, I don't know that it was Fred Ridley, but it could have been. It could have been the chairman before him, Billy Payne. In any case, Masters chairman, the Augusta National chairman, it should be the chairperson, by the way, but Augusta is going to be the last to adopt that word, that's for sure. They don't like people who don't look like themselves at Augusta. That's for sure. But of course, in this day and age, you can't say that can't even think it as well you shouldn't remember when the augusta chairman came out and said about tiger woods that his behavior was not representative of the augusta way or some such crap well fred ridley came out and he wanted to talk about the georgia voting bill why why are you going to talk about something that you have no right to talk about given the type of club that you run. But it's okay if you're going to talk about it, are you going to say something good, something meaningful? He really didn't have a choice, did he? He came out and said, the right to vote is fundamental in our democratic society. Thank you, Fred. No one should be disadvantaged in exercising that right. Thank you, Fred. It is critical that all citizens have confidence in the electoral process. Who doesn't have confidence in the electoral process? Only people who have been told by people not to have confidence in the electoral process when they have no basis to say that. This is fundamental to who we are as a people. I think democracy, the democratic society, and the right to vote is fundamental, right? Okay. We got to make sure that it's critical to have confidence in the electoral process. Is he going to pull the Masters out of Augusta and play at the TPC or Shinnecock or somewhere else? Hmm. No. When he's told he's got to say something on the subject, which he was told he had to do, or he felt as though people cared what he had to say, so he was going to meet the media and talk about it during his pre-tournament press conference, I really wanted him not to give me platitudes and statements that are so self-explanatory, and they go without saying to the point that even in this day and age, you don't have to say them. We realize, he said, that views and opinions on this law differ, and there have been calls for boycotts and other punitive measures. Unfortunately, those actions often impose the greatest burdens on the most vulnerable in our society. 
is he trying to explain why he's not moving the Masters or why he doesn't want anyone to boycott the Masters or why the Masters is going to continue to go on, even though he may not agree with the Georgia bill, which, by the way, I assume he does. Not that it matters. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. I just care about what you say and tell the truth. Don't stand up there and BS your way and say things that aren't that you don't believe or say things that you don't care about and say it because you were forced to say it. And don't say that the most vulnerable people, as though what baseball did by pulling the All-Star game out of Georgia, all of a sudden hurts the people of Georgia to the point of no return. The fact of the matter is that the underprivileged people in Atlanta who are going to get benefits by the All-Star game being in Atlanta are still getting those same benefits because every program that baseball was going to do in Atlanta as part of All-Star week, they are still going to do. Is he saying that when Augusta doesn't play? that that has such a deleterious impact on vulnerable people, the friends and neighbors in Augusta. Maybe he's right. I wonder if it has a negative impact on the members of Augusta. It's all right, Fred. We're here to watch the golf. I don't know why you feel you have to meet the media every time. I don't know why I felt I had to meet the media before every season. I just felt like it was something that was part of my job. So I guess that's what Fred thinks. It's part of your job. Okay, that'll do it. We got to talk about this movie that I watched. It's the documentary feature nominated for Best International Movie, Best International Feature, and Best Documentary Feature. We come back, we're going to review a movie called Collective. And we are going to talk, believe it or not, a little bit about the University of North Carolina Tar Heels, which is something we don't talk much about. We'll be right back. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name's David. Thank you for downloading and following Nothing Personal. We did the Levitard Local Hour today. Thanks for downloading that as well. Keep them both growing. Levitard doesn't need your help. Yeah, he does. He says he does. He does. But keep telling people about nothing personal. We watch a movie every day. I watch Collective. Do you know what Collective is about, Coco? Have you seen Collective? We didn't even talk about this pre-show. We have never talked about this movie before. We have so many other topics we have to cut, cut to. 
collective is about government corruption. Collective is about government cover-up. Collective is a story about a fire that took place in a nightclub called Collective. And in this fire, you had a bunch of people die because there were no fire exits. Do you remember this of a couple of years ago? But the real story is what happened when they went to the hospital. And I'm completely blanking, Coca. I want to say it's Romania, but that doesn't sound right to me. But it could be. It's, there's something in my mind. It is Romania. Thank you, Coca. So they go to the hospital and all of a sudden they start dying. But they're not dying from the burns of the fire. They're dying because of the problems in the hospital, how unsanitary the hospitals are. And all of a sudden, a sports newspaper called the Gazette is breaking a story about the fraud that is taking place in Romanian hospitals. This is a documentary that doesn't have one person talking to the camera, which by the way, is very rare. You know what I'm talking about, a documentary where they, David Sampson, former president, Miami Marlins. Well, in 1942, when the Marlins, blah, 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 blah. That's how a documentary is, facing the camera. This documentary has none of that. It's like you are witnessing a real life movie play out except it's not a movie, it's real life. There's no direct conversation to the camera. There's no breaking of the third wall or it's the fourth wall. I can't remember the expression. I think it's, we, you just broke the fourth wall. That's when you talk to the camera. Is there anything more famous than Eddie Murphy in Trading Places when being told a pork, as in bacon, lettuce, and tomato, and Eddie Murphy looks into the camera like, what do I think I'm stupid? That was a very funny part of Trading Places one. Oh, there's only been one trading places. I was thinking of coming to America, but that scene is in trading places. I have no idea what I was talking about. Oh, there's no direct fourth wall breaking in this movie collective. And what's fascinating to me is how the documentary is so engaging. So if you can, please watch collective because the Oscars are coming up April 25th and you've got to watch every nominated movie. So hurry up. It's called Collective, and I think I saw it on Hulu, Coca. Did you see that my, one of my favorite Knicks was just named the head coach of North Carolina? Hubert Davis. Hubert Davis is a player who uh, was drafted by the Knicks in the first round, and he was drafted right during the highlight of my Knicks fandom. Right when we were good, he was brought in. He wore number, what did he wear, Coca? Number eight on the Knicks? I used to know every number, every player. Toby Knight, 43. Larry Demick, 42. Clyde Frazier, 10. Lonnie Shelton, eight. Patrick Ewing, 33. Anthony Mason, 14. Charles Oakley, 35. Do you want me to keep going? I'll go all night. Hubert Davis comes in has a decent Nick career. And then all of a sudden he becomes the assistant to Roy Williams at North Carolina. He was a graduate of North Carolina. And to Coca, you're wrong. Are you telling me that Coca, that Hubert Davis wore 44? Is that, I can't hear you, Coca. Louder. Okay. I think he wore eight. Is there a chance he wore two different numbers? Because if I'm wrong, then I can't go all night. And in my mind, I can go all night. 
Anyway, get back to me at some point. Don't talk to me about Latrell Sprewell, who wore eight. I'm asking you, did Hubert Davis ever wear eight? Maybe before Latrell Sprewell joined the team. Anyway, let me move on. Hubert Davis gets named the coach after being Roy Williams' assistant. You saw that Roy Williams retired. Roy Williams, I, for me, behind John Wooden. This may be a, a controversial take. I believe Roy Williams behind John Wooden is the single most successful college coach of all time. I think he had more than 500 wins at two different schools, two division one schools. He coached at Kansas and he coached at North Carolina, like 15 years at each. Is that possible, Coca? I may be making all of that up, but I feel as though he was in Kansas and North Carolina for a super long time. He retires, to spend more time with his grandkids, I guess. Interviews happen. North Carolina felt they wanted to stay in-house, and they hire Hubert Davis. Hubert Davis, extremely qualified to be a head coach. From the beginning of time, when he left the NBA and joined the college ranks as coach, he was viewed as a up-and-coming head coach. So Roy Williams is gone. Hubert Davis takes the stage. I didn't give one thought to the fact that Hubert Davis is black. It never even occurred to me. Hubert Davis was the most qualified player and coach to take over for Roy Williams. He had been through the program, done it all, seen it all. I told you when I'm hiring managers or coaches or trading for players, I am not focused on color. I'm focused on performance. I'm focused on the possibility of results. And I'm focused on trying to make the right decision. Hubert Davis's first press conference, he was asked about the significance of being the first black head coach in UNC history. And he said something that was very telling to me. He said, it's significant. It's significant that I'm African-American in the head coach here. It's significant. I know that in terms of division one head coaches, only 26% of head coaches are compromised, comprised by minorities. He said, I know it's significant that I'm the fourth African-American head coach in any sport in the history of UNC, which fact blew my mind. Blew my mind that he's only the fourth. He said, I'm very proud to be African-American but I'm also very proud that my wife is white. And I'm also very proud that my three very beautiful, unbelievable kids are a combination of each of us. The internet went a little batty and I want to explain why you shouldn't have. You thought it was weird. Why is he bringing up that he's got a white wife? What does that matter? Who cares? to Hubert Davis, it was critical that he be viewed not as a black head coach, but as a head coach. That his hiring be viewed in terms of quality, not in terms of color, in terms of deserved versus given. This is something that leagues face every day with the Sila rule and the Rooney rule 
the rules that were changed in the NFL, awarding picks, taking picks away. Remember all that conversation? Violate the seal of rule in baseball. You're going to get in trouble. You got to interview minority candidates. Well, do you remember when the rules changed in football? Minorities and black executives came out and said, we don't really like that rule. We want our job based on merit. Don't look at my color. Look at my performance. And that's all Hubert Davis was saying. When he says he's proud of being black, but he's also proud that his wife is white, he wasn't making a racial comment. He was trying to say to the media and to the entire fan base and alumni base of the University of North Carolina Tar Heels that it's high time that you stopped looking at the outside and focused on the inside. That is when we have achieved equality, isn't it? That'll be a good day. When you can fire a white person, a black person, when you can hire a white person, black person, person of color, and it's all performance related, and none of it is having to meet with your HR because you can't fire that woman or that man. <clears throat> you have to hire that woman or that man. Progress will happen when there's enough equality that you can take away protections that are meant to bring equality. When you can change rules that were changed in order to foment equality and representation. That's how I look at it. All the things that we're doing, we're doing because we have to do because there is not equal representation because people don't get a fair shake based on the color of their skin. It's going to change. It's going to change. And then we can hire and fire whoever damn well we want. And we can return to the reality that the coaches we bring in, the executives we bring in, the players we bring in, the marketing people, the salespeople, anybody that it's all just about business. It's nothing personal. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.